Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 230, Geek Rant Gets Political, recorded March 20th, 2016, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show where we get our geek on, where geek is fluently spoken, spluently spoken here, unlike what I just said. My name is Mark. English. The... He's sometimes known as the Sultan of the Soapbox, and I am joined this week by your friends and mine, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, Gooey Kid Anderson, and Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, Mark, and everyone out there in television land, or in this case, podcast land. I hope you had a great day, and Seth, I hope we figure out what's going on with your stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of here, kind of, but maybe not really. Um, I'm on my backup machine because my regular machine is not cooperating. Seth, I'm going to, I'm just going to buy you a little mini PC just for podcasting. You can throw it in your bag and you'll be good to go. That's all I use this other one for. (laughs) It's podcasting. Yeah, but the problem is it's ancient and clearly has issues. Yeah, I I guess. I mean, yeah, it is old, I guess. but (laughs) Or maybe just a new drive would solve all your problems. Probably Maybe. a new drive because, yeah, I guess I will just reinstall Windows 7 because I have a 480 gig SSD drive that is just sitting in my room not doing anything. So I might just put Windows on that and have it even larger. Yeah, SSD I, I'm going to say that's a pretty good uh, use of that something other than, than a dust collector. Yeah. Well, it's not collecting dust because it's still in its package. Oh, Okay. Oh, so the I packaging is collecting the dust. That's such a great, great use. Yeah, well, I was going because I bought a computer for my dad, and I was going to put this in there because you know those touchscreen um, all-in-one machines—they come with those 5,400 RPM hard drives mm-hmm. to save like two cents on the price. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to, but because it was Dell and it was old and it's Windows and it's Dell and it's Windows and Microsoft, they really didn't like the whole UFI crap. And so I just like. Not going to screw with it. I gave you a night, and uh, so I kept it, you know, and uh, I still have it. Fair enough. So there you go. Pseudo, put that in your podcasting rig. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I have time because it's not like I have a job or any uh, any news on that front. I had an interview that went very poorly, and I went to a job fair that was a waste of gas last week so Ooh, yeah when that happens you know, fun times but you know as long as i still have i'm still i haven't dug into my savings yet so i'm i'm, I'm okay you're afloat at least yep i haven't uh made it public knowledge but uh a while back i went on a on a job interview um flew to another state and did a whole day of interviews and and uh six weeks went by and i never heard anything and uh, finally, last week, I got the automated email from their employment system saying the position has been filled, and I filled in, and not by you. So, uh, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things. If if you thought it was important enough to to fly me down to pay for a, a plane ticket and an airplane, uh, I mean, in a in a hotel and a rental car and do all that, am I not at least worth a phone call? But apparently not. Yeah, it's kind of weird how that all things happen anymore. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be the bearer of bad news, so I, mean, I would have been. I would have settled for just a personal email. Hey, thanks for your time. We went another way. If I'm not the guy for the job, I don't want the job. You know that that the fact that I didn't get the job doesn't bother me in the least. It's the fact that they didn't have the common courtesy to reach out to me personally 
and say, you know, thanks but no thanks. Is that, am I just am I being unreasonable about that? Well, no. did you have, did you ever follow up with Neil and say, "Hey, thanks for the interview," kind of thing? I, I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Then yes, you were not being unreasonable. I, I and and because they you know took so long, I even wrote back and said, "Hey, just checking back. You know, uh, has the position been filled? Anything like that?" And and I did get a human reply there, and the guy said, "Well, we'll let you know." And uh, it, and I guess that's what he considered letting me know. Yeah, just if well. you're if you're a hiring manager, realize that everybody you interview is a human, and give them the dignity of a human. I I, we, I know we tend to focus on the guy we hired because we're excited about that guy, right? But but everybody you interviewed, you know, it is deserving of of at least basic human dignity of of being treated like a person. That's all I have to say minimum. about that. I, Thanks, Forrest. Maybe I don't know. I, I I'm so old fashioned in a newfangled world. Uh, maybe things like, you know, treating people like people just, you know, isn't popular anymore. Well, if you look at the political process, I would tend to agree with you on that. So that ties oh, in nicely man. with yeah. the theme of the show. So uh, before we, we're going to talk about, there's a lot to talk about this week. And and just say up front, you know, I put it right there in the title. We're, we're going to, we have not shied away from our own personal political beliefs in the past, but we've never made it a thing. It's just been side conversations. Um Tonight, we're going to talk specifically about the current American political climate. You know, it's an election year, and we have, you know, uh, bread and circuses going on, and uh, and we're just going to talk about that. And we have not pre-discussed this. Uh, I know uh, uh, Seth and Chris and I uh, share similar beliefs in a lot of ways, but uh, it, it, there could be a heated debate, or it could be a whole bunch of, yep, I think so too, uh, and I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you, you, the audience, get to weigh in after the fact, uh, so... We'll see what you what we have to say. But first, I have to comment on the fact that uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook today. He would vote for anybody who would uh, agree to get rid of daylight saving time, and I'm almost ready to agree with him. Not quite, but I'm I'm about there. Um, I, I'm I'm close with you. It's just daylight savings is garbage. We we don't use candles and gas lamps anymore. My lights are on from the moment I wake up till the moment I go to bed, no matter what time that is. Right. We live in small houses with low roofs and we often keep the windows closed. So to say that we're saving on artificial lighting, I just I don't buy that. Right. And most say your parking lot lights and stuff like that. They come on when the sun goes down, regardless of what the clock says. So I I don't solar driven. I don't buy any rationale that arbitrarily shifting the clock changes anything at all, ever, other than, you know, it makes people groggy. And cranky. Yeah, but you know, the fact if there was a if the sun came up at the same time every day, I would be fine for going to work at the same time every day. But you know, if you have a commute or whatever, and you have more than just a little, you know, piece of plywood size yard that you have to maintain in addition to a job, you really need some time in the summer whenever you do your yard maintenance where there's light at the end of the day and you can get some work done. But that shift so, only buys you about four weeks. The sun take makes up the rest. If we didn't change the clock at all, about four weeks from now, you'd have the same amount of light at the end of the day. Yep. No, I'm getting the extra hour. I'm getting the hour of light at the end of the day rather than at the beginning. And I mean, I guess I could wake up in the morning and do an hour's worth of work before I go to work, but I know that's not going to happen. I'm just saying so, in, in July sundown will be 9 30 p.m right and and the sun takes care of that without us changing any clocks 
Uh, all we do is buy a few weeks. 30. So yeah, I, no, I know. I just I don't because the, the the sun varies. You know, if if the, all the companies in America would agree that hey, in March you're gonna start work at eight, and in April eight fifteen, or you know, or something like that, and vary it. But otherwise, it, I don't know. It, it's what I know, and I don't like change. Yeah, so, so you're, I don't care. You are taking the stance of of an agrarian society, which is what this came out of, right? We we adjusted yeah. the society to match the agrarian nature of what the mo- most people were doing. But you're an outlier. Most people aren't agrarian in any way. Yeah, most people live in the city, and they have their condos, and they have lawn maintenance, and somebody else does it. You know, um, so yeah, I, I'm. I live out in the country, so that makes me different from the overwhelming majority of the American population that lives in an urban or suburban environment. And you drive from the, the country to the city, so you you also you've made yourself an extra outlier by ha- having you know two to three hours on the road more than the average person. Yeah, so you know, but and so here's good news for you, Mark, because I'm of the position that it shouldn't be changed. That means it's only a matter of time before <laughs> it's done away with. So you should glory in my uh, entrenchment on the daylight saving time issue. My complaint is you. that we have institutionalized the outliers. Um, it's it's useful for you, and I, yay, that's great. But it's not useful for most of us, but we're still doing it because it used to be useful for most of us. Um, it's just frustrating to me a little bit. And, and the last of the generation that was the majority of the people when it was useful, they're dying out. So, mm-hmm. you know, when our generation and younger gets more entrenched in society then there'll be this oh this yeah let's get rid of that move and you know it'll go from this being a thing to not a thing just like that i just one other quick aside off of that um i am so not survivalist camping guy my idea of camping is is a is a a a mobile home with air conditioning and pizza delivery um (laughs) I'm, i'm just not a camper but um on a total whim, because I found a good deal, I bought a couple of magnesium and flint fire starters where you scrape the magnesium into a pile and then scrape the flint onto it. And um, I just got to say, those things really work. Um, mm-hmm. And I would I would counsel all of you, even city dwellers who, who like me, uh, are not campers, uh, to, to have one of those in your glove box, because you never know when you might need to start a fire. Buy two. You can get them for three, four bucks each. Practice with one keep the other one aside and uh because they work in the rain where um um matches and lighters won't they uh they work fairly well in high wind the, in case you don't know magnesium ignites at a fairly low temperature and burns at a fairly high temperature like it ignites at about 600 and burns at 3000 so you you scrape off a big pile of magnesium and at 3000 degrees it, do, it burns quickly but it'll catch almost anything on fire even if it's wet flint um is stable uh unless strikes stricken striked stricken um and then it puts out a flame at about 900 degrees so that's more than enough to ignite the magnesium so with literally you know it takes some practice and it takes a little doing but uh anywhere in the world with nothing more than this you know piece of pocket uh magnesium and flint you can start a fire even when it's wet uh outside and even even in direct rain um if you if you absolutely have to so it has nothing to do with anything, certainly not tech, but it was just something I tried and I was, surpri- I was surprised that even my, you know, meager, non-callous city dwelling hands could make a fire pretty quickly with it. Which makes me laugh too a little bit, Mark, because, you know, the other day we were, I had my friends over and they were laughing about my fire pit and they were talking about how it takes them, you know, 
buckets of lighter fluid to light a fire in their fire pits. And I'm like, why do you need lighter fluid to light a fire? And I sat there and in five minutes I had a roaring blaze with, you know, full size logs and they were still looking at me going, how did you do that? You just have to take the time to get the kindling and the the tinder and, and make all that. But once you've done the prep, prep work, it's really quick and easy. Well, yeah. And Mark. since I've already done all the prep work, I have piles of it laying around. I just went over and, you know, Christmas tree. Pine, by the way, pine needles, for those anyone that needs to know, if you can find a tree with a dead pine tree with a bunch of dead needles still on, that is excellent kindling. And with Mark's recent discovery, his PSR has risen to 3.1. <laughs> yes. I could now survive half a day on a deserted island. But uh, if I was on Naked and Afraid, ratings would go down dramatically in the first few <laughs> seconds of the show. They wouldn't even wait for me to take my shirt off. They would be like, that's it. I'm turning this channel. I always thought it'd be fun to be on that show, Naked and Afraid. But man, that would be that'd be a tough tough week yeah i do not have the skills to even consider the skills necessary to be on that show but i do like watching it and you know despite the fact that they're naked you know they cover up all the good bits and uh, we i even watch it with my my children you know my six-year-old uh we we watch it and we talk about resourcefulness and and using what's available and and uh, endurance and so it's a it's good ends up being good family friendly stuff you, you may not think it is when you when the show title is naked and afraid but it really is family programming um you know assuming you can um you know, deal with the 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 bleeped f bombs. Uh, they bleep them, but you do have to explain why those words are not being said. Sure. Um. Yeah, my dad loves that show, so he he has it on a lot. Um. So you, Seth, we're going to talk last week about a movie that you just saw, and I'm going to add to it myself a movie. So as long as we're going to get political, we're also going to get religious. So Seth, tell us about Risen. Okay. Yeah, I went and saw Risen. A while ago, and I think that if you are a Christian who watches movies, you really need to go see Risen. Like, you know, if you're somebody who went and watched Deadpool, which I went and saw Deadpool, I enjoyed it as a movie. Um, it got a little over the top in some places, but I still enjoyed no, it. No, Deadpool over the top? <laughs> yeah, Never. no, I know. I, I was shocked, shocked and appalled. But um, if you're going to go see movies like that, you can't lament the fact that Hollywood doesn't produce family-friendly or good or faith-friendly films whenever they produce a movie like Risen. I really think you need to go and see it because it's not some second-rate script with third-rate actors that you have to overlook because they're Christian and you can just focus on the message rather than the, the lack of acting going on in the film. But it's a good, solid movie. It has good, solid acting. And it is, it treats our, it treats scripture, Christian scripture with respect. So, and it was enjoyable. So, you know, the premise is it's the, the Roman, um, political leaders of the Palestine area are investigating the claims of the resurrection. They're thinking it's a hoax. And so they're trying to find the body to avert political turmoil before the Caesar comes and visits. So, and then it's, you know, Pontius Pilate, and then they insert a character who there could have been a character like that on the scene at the time. And then, you know, and then you meet some biblical characters and then there's just other um, period appropriate characters there. And it it's a really good movie. So I think if you're a Christian who goes to movies, you need to go support Risen. And there's a whole bunch of, they look like to be solid faith, faith friendly films coming out. 
And if Christians don't watch them, then we're back to, you know, the left behind things. So <laughs> go watch them, please. Uh, if you want more, if you don't want any Christian films, then stay away from these and Hollywood will stop me. And, and like unto it, I saw yesterday with my family a movie called uh, Do You Believe? Uh, it was it was one of those that popped in my, up in my Netflix Netflix queue because you like these you might like this it's not a, a streamable it, I actually had to watch, get the disc uh, but uh, it came out in 2015 um, to almost no fanfare uh, it's got Sean Astin um, uh, Frodo not Frodo uh, Samwise um, and he does a lot of faith uh, uh, friendly stuff he did uh, Woodlawn which uh, came out last year really good uh, movie and so I, I thought we'll we'll just give it a try and and like many faith based films it's heavy handed. And, and pretty obvious. I mean, the main bad guy's name is Nefarious, and uh, the chief doubter's name is Thomas. Uh, so, you know, there's there's no subtlety in it. But um, it is really well done. It's, it's a good movie. Uh, in many ways, it's like the, the movie Crash from, I think, 2004-ish, uh, where you've got, you've got different lives of different people that seem to be unrelated, and they all come together uh, at the same time in the same place in dramatic ways. And uh, it's it's intense. It's it's uh, exciting. It's got good people in it. It's it's got uh, Lee Majors and Sybil Shepherd and Mira Sor- Sorvino and um, uh, Brian Bosworth, which it's not doesn't belong in the, that list. Uh, but you know, it's uh, he actually does a pretty fine job. So uh, it's worth checking out. I was entirely pleasantly surprised by it. It is intense. It's PG thirteen and appropriately so. Uh, my 13 year old watched it with us and bawled and, and cried the whole way because it's very emotional. Uh, but, uh, I, I think it's fine for 12 to 13, a mature 12 year old, uh, just because, you know, the uh, bad things happen to people. Uh, the, and, and, you know, you have to be adult enough to understand that we live in a world where bad things happen to people. So anyway, uh, it's called Do You Believe? I was surprised at how good it was. Uh, the, the lead character is the guy who used to play Face on the A team. I can't remember his name. He was also on Love Boat. Oh, Dirk. Uh, I, I won't know if you say it. Uh, so it's a lot of older, you know, has beenish people, um, but they're playing older people, so it's appropriate. Uh, but when you know when the Bionic Man stepped on screen, I was sold. I was there. Um, so anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. That's interesting. Yeah, cool. Any other uh, Chris? Anything you want to say before we uh, totally alienate everybody? So so far, we've only alienated the atheist. We're about to alienate um, everybody. Hey, no, I, I'll take offense to that. Any Muslims who are listening will okay. probably alienate them, too. That's true. Too, Good point. So. Sorry, I don't mean to paint with, with such a broad brush. <laughs> no, my, my week was pretty pretty quiet, so nothing okay. new. So uh, we'll we'll get to some news maybe later on a little bit. And, and I have some very rough, rough notes here, but it's not going to matter. But uh, let's, just, let's just deal with the Trump in the room. Um, and let's talk about, uh, Trump, uh, what a friend of mine recently, by the way, uh, described me in the most perfect way anybody has ever described to me. He said, while most people are avoiding the elephant in a room, Mark is fitting it for a saddle. Uh, so <laughs> I'm the kind yeah. of guy that I like can't, that. I can't let the elephant in the room go unnoticed. And Trump is the elephant in this election. Um, he is, he is more, um, um, Oh, what's the, I blanked on his name, the EDS guy, um, Ross Perot. He's more Ross Perot than Ross Perot, um, and he's, uh, you know, he's running away at this point with the Republican nomination, um, playing entirely on the angry and disaffected people. And surprise, surprise, when you get large numbers of angry and disaffected people together in one place, riots break out. Shocking. Who knew? Yeah, who knew? So in case you didn't know, he had two rallies uh, this week. 
uh, one where violence broke out and one was canceled for fear of violence break, breaking out. And these are Trump supporters who can't even get along with each other, essentially. Well, no, it wasn't the Trump supporters. It was the uh, the extreme leftist people who wanted to stop it. And they were all, yay, we stopped Trump because they got the rally canceled. Yeah, so, I, I don't know. I, I know that's how it's being portrayed, but I it takes more than than one side to do the kind of riotous damage that was done. The, uh, yeah, there were lots of people involved in, and it's like any mob scene, um, ration and uh, rationality and reason go out the window. Um, and I, I was having, I, I'm going to be offensive. Just accept it. I was having breakfast with my family last week and, uh, they had a, a TV, uh, on the, uh, on the, uh, on at the donut shop where we were and Trump was talking and I, and I just kind of said to my wife and my children, this clown cannot be elected president. We, he just can't, what he would do to our standing, our already diminished standing in the world is just frightening to me. Um, but I said it, you know, in such a tone that, that it was just for my family to hear. The family immediately next to us were obviously huge Trump supporters and everything he was saying, they were like, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they were loud, the loudest people in the place. They were disruptive. And when they left, they left a, a, just a big crap load of food and, and dirt on the, on the bus your own tables type place. It wasn't a place where a waitress is going to clean up after you. And they just left a big mess there. And I pointed at it and I told my children, that is the, the quintessential Trump supporter. They're loud, they're raucous, and they leave a mess for other people to clean up. And that's what Trump is going to do if he's elected. He's going to be loud, raucous, and leave a mess that we, our country, and, and our, our children are going to have to clean up. I so wish I could disagree with you, but I will say he's not going to make the mess. He's going to exacerbate the mess that is already there. Um, there in one sense, Trump is the greatest politician ever because you can listen to him talk all day long. And then at the end of the day, look back and realize he said Not absolutely nothing. So in that sense, he's the greatest political orator this nation or probably even the world has ever seen. So I do have to give him props for that. But my dad is a Trump supporter. And, you know, the, the, the Republican Party has alienated the right, um, has, I don't know, the Democrat seems to have embraced the left. And the fact, uh, I just... You know, all these people who whose rhetoric claims to be Trump is bad for the party, they won't drop out and give the other viable candidate a chance because they want they don't want him to be either. They want it to go to a convention and get brokered and hope they have a shot. So in your opinion, the viable candidate is who? um, Ted Cruz is the best of the other three. Being a Texan, I would expect you to say that. Uh, I, I, I come down more on the side of Marco Rubio politically, but he can't be elected. He's too young. He has no experience. So I agree with you that Ted Cruz is the more electable uh, of, the, of the Republican candidates. Right and now. notice, I didn't say, I said the best of the three. Right. So I'm not saying, although I just, I think he seems to have the conviction of his beliefs and he has a record of standing strong on his principles um whether if you agree with him or don't agree with him that's here nor there but in one he does better than the other two uh, you know he comes in second and they come in third and fourth usually and and uh most people who are afraid of cruz or don't like cruz but are afraid of his religious belief. He stands by his right. religious belief, and most people don't like that about him. Those who don't like him cite that reason as for not liking him. Chris, what are your thoughts on on 
Republican and or Democrat primaries. <laughs> this, the my opinion for this, I mean, and, and this is one of those things I I can't say I sit on either fence. Um, I'm one of those middle ground people, and I hate to say that, but I am because I see this year in particular, I don't see a really good party member. Period. Um, they're all kind of snakes Crappy. in the wind, so to speak. You know, I I I'm expecting. I'm expecting Trump to win because he seems to have the the largest support right now. So I'm preparing for that. Um, I don't think anyone else is going to beat him. Um, but God, it's it's going to be a one heck of a show. To to not cuss on the show is really hard because <laughs> I'm going to have to hold my tongue a lot. That's right. I've got um, the uh, I've got the old uh, 880 ready to go. <laughs> yeah, the beeper ready because yeah. it might happen a lot. But yeah, it's one of those things where. You know, I you listen to all of them talk, and they're just talking about nothing. It, it seems to be no matter which party you're listening to or which talk they're in the middle of, it seems to be no matter what, it's all the same rhetoric and the same garbage and no solid answers. So at this same breakfast conversation with my family, I, I, my my oldest daughter asked me, you know, why if I thought he was a clown. Why, why is he even up there? Why is he, uh, in contention? Um, and so I, you know, I was talking to, um, you know, children ranging from seven years old to 13 years old. So I had to, had to find a way to, to communicate with them, um, in a, in a simple and cohesive, uh, manner. And, and here's what I came up with. We have created a system in our country where you need a particular set of skills to get elected. Unfortunately, None of those skills have anything to do with leadership or authority or being um, a useful president. So, or honest, a, a president. Or... Well, see, honesty is, is is leadership, right? So, the the skills that you need in a leader: integrity, uh, uh, leadership. Uh, you know, uh, damn the torpedoes full speed ahead, even if it's wrong. You know, follow me, uh, lead, follow, get out of the way. These these are what leaders do. Leaders are not popular people. With you know, uh, uh, statistics say that if you're a good leader, thirty percent of the people are going to hate you. Um, and and that's just expected. But leaders lead. Right. You can't get elected in this country by being a leader. It's just we don't we no longer look at leadership as a set of skills. You have to look good on television. You have to uh, make good sound bites. You have to make people feel right. So uh, Bill Clinton got elected making people feel, um, you know, emotionally sound. He was your daddy. He was going to take care of you. Uh, Obama got elected by making people feel that uh, that there was going to be hope. He, he, you know, hope and change, right? Uh, we Things are bad now. I'm going to make things better. He made people feel. Um, uh, uh, Reagan got elected on exactly the same thing. The hope and change format is what Reagan got elected on. Um, Bush got elected on, I'm not going to change anything. You feel safe. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep things going that way. So, uh, Bush, the, the, the first one. Uh, so you, you have to have some, some message, right? And, and, uh, Trump's message is we're going to make America great again. And everybody says, yay, we want America to be great again. Yep. How? How are you going to make America great again? Oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make America great again. Well, tell me how. Well, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to outsource it to India and China the way other way corporations do everything today. So, you know, I think maybe we should just go over to India and China and find someone and make our president and our Congress over there because, you know, they already manufacture everything for us. So why don't we let them run our government as well? So the, the system that we have, we have because it's what we want. Mm -hmm. As much as I hate to say that, the, the majority of the American public wants Jerry Springer 
more than they want uh, Abraham Lincoln. Precisely. You know, um, sadly, it, yeah. Um, I want I, I want to back up for a minute. You know, do y'all is it, it was big news around here, but uh, do y'all remember when Walmart announced they were closing all their little small town yes. grocery stores? Okay, well, the news jumped on the fact that you know Walmart ran these other stores out of business by moving on. Well, so if we back up for a second. On one hand, it's great business sense for Walmart because they go in and drive the other places out of business. And then when they close, they're going to get more revenue coming to their store. But number two, they didn't force anybody to close. The people who don't understand economics that because Walmart owns basically the whole supply chain, they, they're the wholesaler and the distributor and then they warehouse it to themselves. Um, I had some friends of mine who ran a convenience store and their distributor could not give them the same prices they could walk into Walmart and buy something off the shelf at. So, you know, so they're they're selling oil because it's a gas station for say three dollars. You can go to Walmart and buy it for a dollar. Well their cost from the distributor is like a dollar fifty. So and that's the nature of the beast, but nobody wants to think, oh, if I want the small business to stay in practice and support jobs that pay a living wage, it's gonna cost more money. I want to pay two cents for a 4,000 sheet roll of toilet paper and then complain because the guy who rings it up doesn't make 25 bucks an hour. You know, something has to give somewhere, but because we're lazy and we're cheap and we'll drive two hours to save five cents on something, um, we're getting exactly what we deserve with all these small businesses closing. It's the same thing in the political process. We don't take time to know the issues. We don't take time to learn what we believe, why we believe it, how to defend it. So we're left with these soundbite machines. You know, the news coverage today is made for soundbite, not discussion. And the worst people have the best soundbites. You know, Trump was probably right. He could shoot somebody on live TV and maybe lose 10 points in the polls. You know, Hillary is right. She could release a tape of her telling uh, denying support from Benghazi whenever there's people at the door and her party would still love her. So it's weird. Nobody cares, but we just want to gripe and complain. So I don't really know that that says anything new, but I said it too. <laughs> Chris, you have any thoughts? Uh, you guys are saying everything I would have said. Um, it, it's just what surprises me. One of the things that surprised me when I was reading all that, or, I, you know, all the stuff that's been going on. Um, I was expecting Hillary to get roasted more about her own little email server and all the security issues that she had. Um, that's kind of fallen off the radar. Isn't that kind of weird? No, because the, the Clintons have been Teflon from the beginning. They're, they're amazing at that. Yeah, um, that's my point. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing skill, uh, frankly. Uh, but I think that to go to the other side of we've been uh, talking about Trump, I think Hillary's greatest asset is Bernie Sanders. Um, oh, yeah. Because the, the, the system that we've created that has nothing to do with leadership has put two people forward, one that nobody really wants, right? Young, disaffected students who want everything given to them want. Uh, but they're such a small per uh, percentage of the population. He has zero chance of being elected. Uh, and that's, you know, the, the party system that we have. And let's talk about that a little bit. The party system and all the primaries that we have are designed to put people in the uh, general election 
that have been carefully vetted by the party. Um, and you know, you get, you get Sanders and Clinton because that's what the parties want. Uh, they want to have one clear guy that everybody doesn't want. And then one guy that you could probably live with. And, uh, that's been, if you look back, uh, that's been the, the Democrat way of doing things for the last probably seven or eight elections. They want a guy that, that you don't want and a guy that you're okay with. Um, and so people vote for the guy that you're okay with. The Republicans try to have, um, a one principled leader and, you know, uh, one guy who, uh, is, is kind of a loudmouth. You go back and you'll see that has been the case for the last several elections. So, but the tr- trouble is that the principled leaders get weeded out so early on in the process, you ended up, you end up with a hairdo and a loudmouth. <laughs> hairdo and a loudmouth. I like that. Well, I mean, tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. In the last, go back the since uh, you know '96, which Republican uh, ballot didn't include a hairdo and a loudmouth? Yeah, I mean, I just said that I, that I like it. <laughs> I, I can't believe that I never put the, you know, that together. <laughs> Seth is thinking. Yeah, no, um, you know, you have you have crap and you have mildly expired. Um, uh, on the Republican side, so yeah, I mean, I totally agree. You have you have those distinctions, and and uh, it's the is the two party system. How much is to blame for that, right? So we have a two party system because we have a two party system. There's no reason for it. Uh, there have always, you know, uh, not not always. There there have been multiple party systems throughout the country. It was really after the Civil War that we broke down into two parties, just because everybody liked one party so much that only everybody else had to form together to form a second party to fight the one party. You know, the Republicans were the third party. Um, and then Abraham Lincoln was so incredibly prop- popular after his death. Uh, being killed makes you a popular president. Uh, that's been true uh, uh, throughout history. Uh, so it, had he finished his term, he may not have been so popular. But he was killed, so that made him immediately popular. So all the other opposition sort of banded together, and you have the Democrats and the Republicans. And it's been that way for 200 years. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and so is is the two-party system to blame for our scenario, or is it a symptom of where we are today? What do you think, Chris? I'm thinking it's a little bit of both. Uh, I'm going to lead more on the idea that it's the two-party system has, has failed us in, in my personal thoughts um, because there are people like – you know, you have your front, your your left wing and your right wing, but then the majority of the people aren't those extremists. You know, they're not that in the far ends. They're riding either sixty forty or fifty fifty, or you know, they're they're in the middle. the 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 devil's in the details, and we don't have anybody for that gray area. And I don't think we ever will, because no one like that is, you know, it, you said it earlier, Mark. It, the, those the the gray area people. They, they're never going to have a leader because they're in the gray. Right. One of my favorite uh, quotes from Rush Limbaugh is, uh, show me the book, Great Moderates in American History. Uh, moderateness and, and, and greatness don't come together. Nope. Um, Seth, what are your thoughts on, on the two-party system in general? Well, there's only one thing that the Republicans and Democrats can agree on, and that's they don't want any other four parties to eat into their base. So... <laughs> You know, they, they disagree about taxes. They disagree about abortion. They disagree about health care. They disagree about immigration. But they do agree that two parties is enough in American politics. And, you know, here's the if Ross Perot hadn't have dropped out of the race and then came back in, he might not would have won. 
has a has an independent write-in, but could have established a viable third party. Um, and it could have been viable. You know, in in Europe where, you know, there there's there's so many different parties and their their election structure is different too, but you could have three parties or more, you know, the the problem would be there would be a lot more runoff elections because nobody would get 50%. You would have the top two, which would probably be Democrat or Republican most of the time, but it could be that third party because, you know, usually there's a couple of central issues that the Republicans and the Democrats coalesce around, but then you could have a third issue arise that a party was strong on and then they could get things on that. So I think the the two-party system is more of a symptom of how crappy Americans are at public discourse than the root of the problem. Well, I think you 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 hit something there that that I hadn't uh, uh, brought out before. It, it, our entire system is problem based elections. So we yeah. we elect a guy for his stance on this one thing. That, there's this one issue. I, I saw it all the way down at the the school board level. You know, when I all those years in education, a guy gets mad at something a school does. Uh, runs on changing this injustice, gets on the school board, fixes that one thing, and then uh, now he's got two years left in his term and got nothing else he cares about. Um, right. And our, our whole political system. He doesn't system, know anything else. That's right. the problem. He doesn't know anything else. And so he fixes this one problem, but because he focuses everybody's attention on that, these 10 other things fell apart. Yeah, and so we have these hot-button issues, right? Abortion. I'll never uh, vote for somebody who is pro-abortion. I'll never vote for somebody who's uh, 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 anti-choice. There are so many more things that a president has to do day-to-day that that have nothing to do with abortion but these single single issue people you know uh, uh do is it okay to uh for gays to get married that's all i'm going to vote for in this election is the guy who says what i want him to hear uh, to say about gay marriage um and this problem based uh, electioneering um is damaging and and futile and and the problem is that you can't be a principled guy but conservative or liberal you just can't say um you know what um I, I don't think that that issue right there is is important to the overall health of the country right now. Let's deal with things like our financial situation, our place in the uh, the world, our our military, uh, too big or too small, whatever you think it is. Uh, you can't do that. So that that goes back to what I was saying: the the set of skills necessary to get elected uh, it means that you have to say the right thing to the right people all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also, um, this was years ago. I was reading an article about J.C. Watt, who was a, I think he was just a congressman, and he was a very, you know, pro-Christian stance person, you know, be it abortion or anything else. Um, but he was like, he was like, I'm focusing on roads because if I don't pay attention to any of these other congressmen about issues they care about, then they're not going to pay attention to what I care about. And so you, the problem is you have people just bombastic about issue A and then to the point where they shut out issues B through Z. You need somebody who cares about issues B, C, D, and E so that people will listen to their views on A. You know, whether you're against it or for it, you need to have a broad reaching, you know, stance on, you know, you can't be a single person issue 
you know, in a local area, you probably could. But when you get, you know, regional or national, you really can't be a single person issue because there's whole other swaths of the country that's not a big deal on. And they're going to tune you out if you don't say anything that's of value to them. Yeah. And so the, the people that are, you know, who are willing to be um, conservative and principled or liberal and principled, whichever, you know, it, they, these are my principles and I'm sticking to them. You know, Groucho Marx would said, these are my principles. And if you don't like them, well, I have others. Um, and that's right. that's the ultimate politician right there. Somebody yeah. who says, these are my principles. They're non-negotiable. This is where I'm going to go. This is the man I am. You either elect me based on the man I am or not. That person can't get elected, and that person is running on the Green Party or the the Libertarian Party. Uh, these people who are um, they're also rands because they often ref- refuse to to play the game, and therefore they're painted as nutbags. You know, this guy won't even give an answer on abortion. Like the the Libertarians, for example, are their their whole platform is is we don't care about abortion, we don't care about gay marriage. That's not a government's job. So if your only ca- uh, thing that you care about is gays in the military, you're never going to vote Libertarian because their official plank is we don't care if they're gays in the military. Yep. And so we we these these third parties that we have all are fringe parties because they refuse to be single issue parties. Except the Green Party, which there is a single issue, and it's a single issue that believe you know whether you like it or not, nobody cares about. Right. So do, do I have a, this quote note uh, question here in the notes? Do we have the government we deserve? I, we have the electoral process we deserve, you know. But do we do we as a country deserve better leaders than we have? No, I mean un- unfortunately. <laughs> We, we as a people are, we're fat and lazy and content with our fat and laziness, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a fat, lazy guy. If you look at any, you pick any swath of population, most people who claim to be Christians are fat and lazy about their belief. They don't read their Bible. They don't study it. They don't follow the disciplines of their faith. You know, most people who are some other issue, you know, if you're abortionist, if your issue is you're pro-abortion, then anything that doesn't agree with you is automatically wrong and you don't care. If you think government is the answer to anything, then anything that limits the power of government is automatically wrong because it doesn't agree with your position. And because that is the view of the majority of people in any belief, we, we deserve what we've got. We've cultivated this process and we refined it Uh, you know this might be the quintessential american election because we have refined crap on the right and we have refined (laughs) crap on the left to such high levels that i've never seen before and you know you can look back at last election and then one before that and the seeds were there well guess what baby it's time for the harvest and we're about to reap so um yes we got what we deserve yeah we we're we're what we sowed is what we're reaping, and that's pretty much a sad thought. See, my, I am more hopeful than that. I believe that that this country, the the people of this country, deserve better than they've than than they're getting. Um, we we're we don't know how to get back to that, or or even maybe not even back. Right? As a as a conservative, I I tend to always look back. That's by definition. That's what a conservative means. We want to conserve things. We want to keep them the way they are. Um, but there's really, there's not a better, there's not a good word for what I am. 
Um, what I am is is somebody who who wants truth and 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 justice in the American way. Right? Um, I am I am a Superman. Um, that I think that this this grand experiment of of uh, democratic republicanism, uh, which is what we are. We're not a democracy. It, it galls me when people say that we are. We are a de- democratic republic, and we are. If not entirely unique, unique, we are certainly very unusual in the in the recorded history of man. Um, and it's been, you know, it's been often referred to as the grand experiment. And I think that the grand experiment deserves better than it's getting. But the problem, and we've alluded to it uh, before here, is, is that we are are the masses are unwashed and uneducated. And and we may rock it at uh, you know making electric guitars and and video games and and whatever, but we suck at at an intelligent discourse. And I I believe truly that is by design, and and not you know not I'm not a conspiratorial thing, but the system ha- that we've built part of that system is an ed- ignorant populace, because an educated populace won't put up with the refined BS. Um, so the the whole process of of dumbing down the education of of the country has has risen alongside with the process of dumbing down the candidates. And I don't know that that one has fed into the other, but I think that we can't fix the electorate. We can't fix the election until we fix the electorate. And uh, yeah. and, and that's a generational thing. Yeah, very much so. Uh, God, I can't remember the. I was having a discussion about um, electrical, the, the you know that that very system a couple of weeks ago about how somebody could win the popular vote, vote but lose an electoral vote. Yeah, the electoral college. Silly. Yeah, that's just silly. Which I actually think to me, I think it's great. I think the electoral college is the right way to go. That's the definition of a democratic republic. the The people's voice only matters. In as much as they put the the people who make the the governing decisions in office, that is the ultimate example of the American experience. Now you don't like it, uh, okay? I, I I'll accept that you don't like it, but it is the essence of America. We uh, we it are is. only democratic in that we elect the people who make the decisions. The mob doesn't rule. The electorate, the elected rule, and then the mob chooses the elected. And it's it's a powerful system, and it works. So the electoral college is designed to keep, you know, the the peasants from storming the Bastille. That's the whole reason that system exists. And you may not like it today, but there will come a time when it's going to save us. And I don't know what it, I don't know that Trump is something that we need to be saved from. But there's going to come a time in this country's history where the electoral electoral college is going to save America from making a huge mistake. What do you think about that, Seth? No, I totally agree with that. Um, going to switch gears for a second here. There was um, a quote, and I wish I could remember it exactly because it was awesome. Is a poker player, and his name is Chris Ferguson. He's the one known as Jesus because of the long hair and glasses and all that. And he was talking about skill versus luck in poker. And he was like, if you look at a hand or a game of poker, it is probably 90% skill and 10% luck. But if you look over a season or a circuit of poker events, then it probably flips and it's 90% skill and 10% luck. The problem is we focused so much on, you know, you've got to get a better paying job. So we're trying to focus in and zero in on the skills that for today produce a better wage. But in doing that, we've neglected the skills that build a better tomorrow 
that produces a better wage for our children and our children's children. Uh, it's that same type of thing. We focused on this short-term goal, you know, in poker, it's luck versus skill. Uh, and in, in America, it's, it's making a dollar today or creating a place where everybody can make dollars tomorrow. We focused on the dollar today at the expense of the future. And we've talked about it before. Companies who sacrifice the balance sheet for this quarter's profits and the fact that they'll, there might not ever be another, you know, Xerox park. Uh, in America because no CEO is going to take the chance and invest all that money on something that doesn't show results by the year end. Um, and so in, in, in that sense, we've gotten exactly what we deserve. It's not some grand conspiracy. It's a bunch of lazy people taking the easy way out, looking for the best thing today rather than the best thing long term. I don't want to let that quote go unnoticed. That was golden, Seth. We have neglected the skills necessary to build a better future. That that sums it up better than than the the eight thousand words I said pre, prior to that. We as a society, as a culture, have neglected the skills of future building. And I, I don't know. I can't track when that happened. As an amateur historian, I can't tell you when that happened. But somewhere along the line, we decided now is more important than tomorrow. That's powerful. It's scary. You know, that's, 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 but, you know, that's sad that we've gotten to the point now where we worry more about what's going to happen now than what happens when our kids are grown up or our grandkids. We don't care about those generations anymore. And that's sad. And it, it just, it, it hurts, you know, when you think about it, that, that, you know, my grandfathers and great grandfathers, you know, they were more worried about what was going to happen to us now. Then we then we're worried about us now. So why don't we do the same for our grandkids and great grandkids? Yeah, and I want to address uh, the issue. We haven't said it in this discussion, but I hear all the time of ex president is going to ruin the country, right? Um, uh, George Bush was going to ruin the country. Um, Bill Clinton was going to ruin the country. Uh, Obama was going to ruin the country. I wonder why. Huh? I, I only gave his last name. Everybody else has said their first name. Barack Obama. <laughs> is going to ruin the country. And now Donald Trump is going to ruin the country or Hillary Clinton, whichever, whichever side you're on, the other one is going to ruin the country. Mm -hmm. I, I want to say, I want to go on record as saying that I believe um, that America and the, the, the country, the, the office of the president is bigger than any one man. Okay. Um, the, no one man has the power to destroy the presidency. The presidency is bigger than any one man. No one man has the power to destroy the country. The country is bigger than any one man. But we as a country can systematically ruin our country by the people that we choose. And, and I, again, as an amateur uh, uh, historian, am seeing that trend. We as a country, by succession of really not even decisions, succession, uh, succession of indecisions, are heading our country down the path of ruin. It won't be Barack Obama's fault. It won't be Hillary Clinton's fault. It won't be Donald Trump's fault. It will be 350 million Americans' fault. And and it, that juggernaut can't be stopped quickly. We have to turn it around. Yeah, it will be the Republicans and the Democrats' fault, both. Because the best the country's been, you know, recently to me was under Bill Clinton, after he was first elected, you know, oh, all the Republicans got enough or whatever. And then the House came out with the contract for America and they stuck together 
and said, we're going to do these. And then they won the the House, the Congress back. And so you had a Democratic president and a Republican Congress. But then something weird happened. The Democratic president worked with the Republican Congress to build a better country, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what that that compromise is what made America great. When America started, you had the large states, the New Yorks, the Virginias uh, of the country and the small states, the Rhode Islands and the Delawares. And, you know, the, the big states um, realized, you know, hey, we might be bigger than these small ones, but if we all act together, we can do better than us. And the small states is I can't do anything by myself. I need them, but I'm not going to give up everything. So when the country was founded, it was big states and small states, and now it's conservatives and liberals. And it's fine to have your conservative beliefs, and it's fine to have your liberal beliefs. But if you hold those beliefs over the country rather than the country over those beliefs, you've doomed it to failure. It might take a generation or two, and you know you could look in politics, a generation is like a, in a, a presidential election. You could say each one of those is a generation. Um, it might take a little while to ruin it, but if you hold your principles over the nation, but if you hold the nation over your principles and look for ways to moderate what the other, because the problem is you have the people on the right refuse to see how the mega rich are systematically, you know, out to rob and to cheat and to steal and to hold and maximize their profits and reduce their taxes and cheat and everything. And you have the left refuses to see all of the people who are on food stamps who work for cash only and don't report that income so they can get a lot of money and food stamps. They they deny their issues and the right denies their issues while pointing at the others instead of working with each other to come with ways to curb the excesses off either side and get something that can grow the middle instead of a race to get rich or a race to get poor. You know, get rich and steal from the government or get poor and steal from the government. And what's happening is the middle class is falling away on either side. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem. And so anyway, sorry, I'll stop my little rant there. Well, you know, classism classism is a thing that is largely manufactured, I believe. I think that given that people given to their own devices would not devolve into classism. Um, there, there's the rich and the poor and, and they, they, they know who's rich and they know who's poor and the rich always, uh, take advantage of the poor and the poor always hate the rich. That's a given, right? But this middle class is a uniquely American invention. Yeah. It's very new in the history of the world. Yeah. And, and we all want to be the middle class. You know, the guy who makes $300,000 a year wants to be the middle class. The guy who makes $3,000 a year wants to make, be the middle class. Nobody wants to be rich or poor. We all think we're the middle class. And so when you talk about the middle, you're actually talking about 70% of the country because you got 15% on either end. Everybody else is the middle. That's not the middle. And we're trying to make decisions that, that you just use the, the line, grow the middle class. Everybody wants to grow the middle class. The problem is the middle class has been desi- defined as so huge that the middle class means everybody. And it is not possible to grow everybody. It just it doesn't work that way. Yeah, no, I, I can see what that, the, the thing, but the point, you know, I wasn't, I was just talking about the middle as opposed to the, the, the mega rich or the mega poor. The problem, you know, and if, if each side would admit their dirty laundry instead of trying to hide their dirty laundry and pointing at the others, then something could be done 
to take care of the issue. But because the people on the left point to the people on the right and say everybody who's left is good, and people on the right point to the left and say everybody's left is bad, then there's no room for compromise because you can't even agree as to the issue. They're not the same issues. So you can't compromise if you can't agree on the issue. And nobody wants to agree on the issue because everybody wants to be 100% right and 0% wrong instead of walking in the reality that I'm probably messed it up a little bit here myself. Right. Yeah. And and not to to give Godwin's law his day, but that the the idea that you were talking about of of illustry of putting the country above your principles, if you take that to the extreme, you end up with Doc out. Um so you have to watch out for that too. You know, those people uh who were who were committing those atrocities, I'm going to say that most of them didn't want to be doing that, but they were doing, they were putting their country above their principles. Uh, so well, actually they put their party above their country. Yeah. Even better there. Yeah. yeah. So my point still stands. Sorry. <laughs> I just, you can't have an internet discussion on the internet without invoking Nazis. So I just had to do that. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and we already did the children. So we're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got to work communism in here somewhere. What about socialism? Well, that, is, that- is, well, you know, let's talk about that, all right? Socialism slash communism, they, they are not the same thing. They are they are birds of a feather, right? And and since the 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 end of the Great War, since the end of World War II, those have been the the great evils uh in the minds of the average American. Communism yep. is is evil, socialism is evil. Um, They're the boogeymen. Yeah, and certainly in, you know, the more conservative, you know, the the Republican Party, uh, to be a communist is to be, you know, a very evil thing. Uh, To be a socialist is to be a a very evil thing. But socialism um, is is actually a very predominant governmental form uh, of of functioning throughout much of the world. Um, and one, you know, one could point at many American things and say that is socialism. Uh, Medicare is socialism. Um, uh, welfare in general is socialism. Uh, unemployment insurance is socialism. Um, uh, uh, social security is socialism. There are lots of the tenets of socialism in our country. And yet we, we like to run away from socialism. Uh, I am, I am not a socialist, uh, but I recognize that we are living in a country that is more socialist than it isn't. No, I totally agree with that. And yet, if somebody is tarred as a socialist, then then there that is immediately a negative thing. Yep. Uh, I think I think we just need to admit that you know, not not completely, but to a large extent, America is a socialist country. Um, and I I personally would like it to be much less governmental social. I actually am a big fan of local socialism. And I believe, as you know, as my Christian beliefs tell me, that I am called to be a, a small-scale socialist. That is the command of my Savior, to be a small-scale socialist. I am to reach out to those around me. I am to to share with what I have with them. I am to make sure that nobody within my sphere of, sphere of, sphere of influence fails. It's my job as a Christian to be socialist to those around me. But see, political socialism, though, is it's where a very, the government controls that. Right. And so... You know, I'm glad you explained what your definition of socialism was before I really tore into you about how that wasn't really socialism. Because, you know, um, George Washington said, paraphrasing here, that our system of government was designed for a 
morally religious people and it is wholly inadequate for anything else. And if you correlate that out, if you have an upright, morally centered people, the form of government won't matter. And if, if you have a, a non-moral people, then again, the form of government won't matter because they won't do what it says. And if they're moral, then they'll do the government that governs their heart and it won't matter what the government says. Right. So, you know, the problem is we have this system that was designed for very little government action. And in the, you know, 18, early 1900s, when government, when corporations were so powerful that the government did not have the power to stop them and keep them from exploiting their lowest class of workers, that was wrong and it needed to be addressed. And so you had these unions rise because the government was unable to protect. And, you know, and there was a time where unions saved the American dream. And, you know, as a Republican, I can say that without cringing because what unions were and what unions are are not the same thing. Now, they, they went from the right of the people to a political system in and of themselves, wanting to keep their bosses in power, just like corporations want to keep their bosses in power, just like government and political parties want to keep their bosses in power. So it's simply become another power base rather than a place of refuge. And, and like so many things, it all works really well on the small scale, but it can't be scaled up. Uh, the, 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 the fact is, you know, um, strong religious moral val- values can't be scaled up to the governmental level either. That's been tried and failed. You know, that, that's what you have, you know, in, in the, the Shia and Sunni battles, right? That in the Middle East there, that, that is, uh, moral, uh, values moved up to the the governmental level you know uh korea in many ways is is the same thing there china their moral values are are you know atheistic that's that's the official um position of china and to to go against that is a very dangerous thing so the problem is that we want to take small scale things that need to stay small scale socialism only works small scale communism only works small scale christianity only works small scale but because it's something that I, as a, as a Christian, deeply believe in, I want to elect other people who believe in the same things I do, which is not the same thing as electing uh, people to a Christian government. Electing Christians to government is not the same thing as electing a Christian government. And, and too many um, super conservatives want, want a Christian government rather than Christians in government. Yeah, and unfortunately, just, you know, I would love it. I personally, I would love if everybody was a Christian because I think it's the best way to live. But just because somebody claims to be a Christian does not automatically qualify them for government. Right. You know, and I and, do not want a Christian government. I, right. I will say that right now. I do not want a Christian government, just like I do not want a Muslim government and I do not want a Jewish government. Government, that, that whole separation of church and state thing, though it has been blown way out of proportion over what it was ever intended to be, the idea is sound that your government and your religious systems, um, while they coexist, one is not driven by the other. There is no, there is no uh, state church and there is no church that controls the state. And that's right and appropriate. There should not be a Christian government. But I, like you, Seth, would like to see a government comp- of Christians. Yeah. But I'm not going to not elect somebody because he's not a Christian. Right. One of, you know, here in here in the South, one of the big things about uh, President Obama is, you know, we've elected a Muslim president, whether he is or not. He says he's not. But it doesn't really matter what a politician says. People will put their truth in his mouth anyway. Um, 
I, I don't care. Much. You know, I don't care. Um, wow, th this is a hard thing to, for me to say. I don't care whether my candidate, I care less whether my candidate is a Christian uh, than I do about whether my candidate is a principled moral leader. Right now, that's more important to me. I, I happen to believe that most Christian leaders are also principled moral leaders. So I hope, you know, my, my faith in humanity wants those two to go together. But I don't vote for somebody because they say they're a Christian. Donald Trump says he's a great Christian, right? Uh, the Pope said he's not. Who are you going to believe there? The fact is, the Pope doesn't know. I don't know. Right. Nobody knows, really. You know, and, and that's only that's between Donald uh, Trump and, and his God. And, and, but that doesn't, that for me, that doesn't check a box off, right? Oh. I would, I would vote for a principled, uh, moral, uh, effective leader atheist over a Christian with a hairdo any day of the week. Yep. Yeah. You know, I, I often, you know, Jesse Ventura was somebody who I was like, why in the world would you elect a former wrestler? But as I studied what his beliefs were, I was like, dude, I would totally vote for this guy. And he's, He's an avowed atheist, at least the stuff I've heard says he is. But, you know, and Mark, just so we can further alienate any Christians you didn't get, let me also point out for the record that Jesus isn't a white Republican. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus would have been classified as a terrorist today. Probably, you know, he would be a religious extremist on an FBI watch list somewhere. Yes. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I just wanted to throw that out there because, you know, I'm an equal opportunity basher and offender. I don't just go after people who disagree with my views. There's a there, there's a, a line in, in one of my uh, favorite movies, The the American President uh, with uh, Michael Love Douglas. Um, and, and it's a line delivered by uh, Michael J. Fox. And he says, Americans are starving for leadership and they will crawl towards something that looks like leadership and they will stuff their mouths with the sand of the mirage because they're thirsting for leadership and they'll take anything that looks like it. That's a paraphrase of it. But I believe that, you know, that movie was 93, 94, somewhere around there. That sentiment was true then and it is even more true now. And another great line from that movie is that if you believe in a free country, the, the symbol of that country can't be a flag. The symbol of that country must also be Amer an American uh, burning that flag in legal protest. And I believe that both of those statements are true. America needs leaders, and America needs to to stand up for the things that it says it believes. And it says that we believe that you have the right to ex to express your protests. That's written right into our Constitution. And and so we need to stop criminalizing the things that are built into our Constitution. I, I wonder how many people have read the Constitution, including people in government. That's Not a, a lot. Question. I would... I would think just by some of the stuff they're doing. Well, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's like, do you read the Bible or do you listen to what the preacher says about sermons mm. he learned in seminary that were loosely based on what other people thought the Bible said? Um, do you read the constitution or do you read what your favorite judge interpreted the constitution to say based on this other case that happened 200 years ago involving chickens and pigs in upstate Vermont. Well, so. let's talk about judges, right? The the next the thing that the next president will do is is probably assign two or three people to the Supreme Court, right? Yeah. There's there's debate right now whether whether the current sitting president has the right to put uh, a justice on the on the court this close to the end of his term. I think absolutely. The Constitution not only gives him that right but mandates that he must. 
Um, and, mm-hmm. and these, these Republicans who are filibustering that are, are a bunch of hypocrites because, uh, were it an American, uh, in the last year of his lame duck, uh, presidency, no, I mean, a American, Republican, I sorry, <laughs> were it a Republican in the last year of his lame duck presidency, they would, they would be screaming for the right. And, and, mm-hmm. um, that's, we, we, we like to go in American politics for the nuclear option only to realize that we've burned out our own homes as well. And so that's that's what Republicans are doing here when they make this stand and say that uh, President Obama should not have the right to do that. When this happens again, and it will happen at some point in an, a Republican president, they have now set the precedent uh, yep. that, that you can't do that. So anyway, uh, the, the current vacancy aside, based on the age of the, of the, the panel, there's probably going to be two, maybe three more in the next eight years, assuming a president uh, runs for eight years. So that, that the, the, the sort of the whole point of assigning somebody to the Supreme Court is that system is designed to put somebody who shares today's values in the future. That's, that's really kind of what that is supposed to do. And, and, you know, uh, uh, Antony, Antonin Scalia was a representative of the eighties. He was put there in the eighties and he represented the eighties, you know, all the way through. Right. And, and that's what, that's what a Supreme Court judge does. So when we talk about having the, this longevity of, of, of remembering, you know, taking a generation to change thing, the Supreme Court was designed to sort of do that. You put somebody on this court for life and you imbue the future with the values of today. For better or worse, that's what you do. And, and you, we need to elect somebody understanding that his principles are going to be imbued into the next two to three decades. That is a power that he constitutionally has, but we need to not take lightly. That is far more important than his stance on, you know, the price of oil. You know, the, that is far more important than whether or not we should let uh, Assyrians in uh, to our to our borders as refugees. That is something that is going to carry the current values of the current president for for three to four generations, or well, three to four decades rather, uh, a generation. Mm-hmm. And and that needs to be uh, taken very seriously. But I think that most of the country neither understands that nor cares about that. Wow, that's deep words. I somewhere. wish I could disagree with that last sentence. <laughs> I so want to rise up in opposition. But unfortunately, you've hit the nail on the head because, you know, even though civics was required in high school and, you know, I, it was a refresher course for me because I was really into politics when I was in high school. Um People don't seem to understand, you know, because they don't understand the electoral college. They think it's just a popular vote and, you know, and it's an aggregate across all the states and they don't, nobody under, nobody cares. That's the thing. If they cared, they would understand. So the question we need to ask is what will it take to get people to care about politics in a deep and abiding way, not just to hurl insults? but to understand the issues and why those issues matter and why the opposing viewpoints are there and not just, Oh, I like that person. Therefore everybody disagrees with them as a flaming idiot. But that's what we always get. We always get that, the, that the flaming idiot comment, you know, there is no honest discussion. And that's not new. That goes back 300 years. Oh, that's not new years. I'd say it goes, it, it predates. Personally, I, that's how I feel. It is it predates yeah. everything? It's it's human nature to say it's either my way or the highway. Yep. 
Wow, a whole lot of yips going on this show. Wow. <laughs> That's because once I say something, there's nothing more to be said. Go. I'm not that arrogant, truly. Um, so we we seem to have come to a natural break in the conversation. Do you guys, I mean, uh, Seth, I'm going to ask you directly, and then Chris, I'll ask you directly. Any Any additional topics or thoughts that you wanted to say, something that maybe got stepped on during our conversation? No, I really can't think of anything. I want to be hopeful about the future, but, you know, in one sense, I think the greatest thing for conservatives would be to get a really liberal idiot in the office again. Um, and so that might help conservatives to realize, articulate their viewpoint. But then the problem is all the liberal people with brains would turn theirs off because they think, oh, we're coasting now. And the, you have this one side rises up while the other side dwindles. And it's just balancing back and forth instead of sharpening each other to look for the truth in the middle. It's, you know, they're trying to pulverize each other. So I've described what you just said in that sometimes it takes a Carter to get a Reagan. And what we need is another Carter, I guess, to get a Reagan. Sure. I mean, that, yep. that that's, that's such a good Seth, you said it so well that um, it's hard to even you know say something else after that. It's too bad that the parties are you know bashing each other apart instead of finding ways to make each other a sharper tool. Chris, any any discussion points that you wanted to hit? Any things you wanted to talk about? No, not really. The only thing that um, I do have a, a, a link to a YouTube video that I, I know it came from a TV show. But I'll put it towards at the bottom for my link of the day. Um, everyone should watch that because it's it's a lot of a lot of truth is in there. Um, a lot of it is some political garbage, but there's some of the things in there that God, I wish we could change, and I wish it'd be an easy way to change it. Is it safe for work? Uh, it should be. Okay. I don't remember anything. I mean, it, it it was aired on public TV on you know primetime TV, so okay. It should be safe for work. I hope so. <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I have a challenge before we leave this, and, and we're, we don't have time for news. Um, so we're just going to start. No, that. really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but this is a smart audience of smart people. Um, and and I, I have no doubt that there is a certain percentage of you who have been yelling in agreement and yelling in disagreement at this podcast. And I welcome your comments. I really do. I hope that you will do it. But my challenge to you, to the smart people of this audience, is before you vote, if, if your primaries haven't happened yet, great. Um, but certainly in the general election, before you vote, take the time to not only read, but understand the Constitution of the United States. Take, and it's not easy. It, it takes effort and it takes work. In fact, there are constitutional scholars who spent a lifetime trying to understand it. But you can come up with a working understanding of it. You know, if you spend uh, sit down and spend several hours really understanding the document, you can do it. That is the founding document of our country. That is what the framers of our country said that we that we are. And we have a process for changing that. And if you don't like it, you can go through the process. You can amend the Constitution. It's been done uh, a couple of dozen times. Um, and you can you can do that. We can even, we have the ability to call a constitutional convention, throw out the existing document, and write a new one. If you don't believe that our document um, uh, that we stand on uh, holds weight in the modern world, you can throw it out. You have that right. 
Uh, we as a country, that system is built in there. But what's happening is that people are ignoring, abandoning, or twisting the foundational document of our country because they don't like it, because it, it's inconvenient, because it's too old. Well, or it doesn't fit. You, right. You can't, you can't really do that. It can't be the foundation and be ignored. So take the time, read and understand this document written by people smarter than, than all of us who, who poured their lives into it. Understand it and then vote not on what's right today, not even on what's right tomorrow, but what backs up that document that says this is who our country is. That's the most powerful thing you can do. Not, not go vote just because. Not do your duty to vote. It kind of ticks me off when I hear people say, you know, go rock the vote. Go vote just because it's your right. I would much rather have uh, uh, no vote than an uneducated vote, right? Educate yourself on what our country actually is supposed to be. Educate yourself on, on what the politicians are actually saying and not the sound bites, and then vote, vote based on those two things. And if, if you do that, and if, if you encourage your children to do that, we can change this country back into what it deserves to be. I think all of us agree that the country is not now what it deserves to be. Whether you think that we're too conservative or too uh, uh, liberal, I think the general and the reason Trump is is the front runner right now is he's tapping into the fact that Americans in general don't like the America that we have. But the politicians can't change it. They can't. It's not that they don't want to. The system won't allow it. It's up to us to change it. And we can't change it until we understand it. Take the time. Understand it yourself. Teach your children. Teach your friends. And then make the country what that document says we should be. Or scrap the document. Those are your two choices. And remember, a vote cast in ignorant stupidity is a vote for the status quo. Go America. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. I just wanted to throw that sound bite out. Yeah, do that. Good stuff. Um, I, I've been reading a lot uh, lately. Um, you know, I, I go in, in spurts and in reading, but I've, I've been really focusing on the, the uh, World War I and II, that, that period of time, because those are essentially one war, um, and they shouldn't be treated as two. And, you know, that's why I brought up the Nazis earlier, because that's what's on my mind. And and what I see there, you know, the, that was a world in crisis. And a group, a select group of people, you know, that we sort of uh, put in the person of Adolf Hitler, forced our country to decide who we were as a nation. Mm -hmm. And we decided that we were the big brother who was going to defend our little brother. Now, it took being bombed to do that. Right, but that's what we decided we we would do, and as a nation, everybody, one hundred percent of our country, was involved in that war effort in some way. That's the that was our national identity for a while, and and so we need to find our national identity again. Maybe it's changed; it probably has changed, but the problem is we don't know what it is. And I sure hope that it doesn't take a megalomaniacal uh, idiot dropping bombs on us before we figure out who we are. Because even if, if I don't like who we decide we are, I can move. That's one of the great things about this country. I can move. I have that price, uh, that privilege. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to because, you know, I happen to think that we live in the best country that has ever been, uh, not just in the world today. I think we are the pinnacle of uh, humanity, which isn't saying much. Humanity is a big, ugly mess. <laughs> but the, the, I believe... In American exceptionalism, 
But I also believe that we've lost our, our national identity. And the, all these things that we talked about today are symptoms of having lost, uh, not knowing who we are. Well, in, in losing our way, I think we've lost our way. We need something to, to, to galvanize us all into a, a, a more prosperous, um, end. You know, the, the whole idea of, you know, Star Trek was the idea that, you know, the, the earth is all, all happy go lucky and everyone is, is, is doing their things for themselves and it's just everyone works the way it's supposed to work. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that type of a world would be created because I think that'd be neat. Well, what it would take is aliens coming down and bombing us. That's what it would take for humanity to band together. Yeah, it would. But, you know, that, Probably. I mean, we need something large to galvanize the, our, our populace, not just the United States, but the world, because the we world the is world. at the same place. All right, yeah. Seth, one last, one last opportunity for you to speak. Okay. Um, I, too, believe in the concept of American exceptionalism. Unfortunately, the only thing we seem to be exceptional at now is stupidity, and hopefully we're able to change that. But we're Sorry the to be on a downer. <laughs> All right, so, Seth, because this is a cool one, I don't want to skip it. What happened this week in history? Okay, this was really cool here. Um, March the 15th, 1955, Bell Labs announces TARDAC, which is basically a giant brain. Um, at Bell Laboratories announced the completion of the first fully transistorized computer asterisk on that. I'll come back to it in a second. Um, TARDEC contained nearly 800 transistors, which replaced the standard vacuum tubes and allowed the machine to operate on fewer than 100 watts or basically 120th the power required by a comparable vacuum tube computer. It could compute speeds in excess or up to 1 million. Um, operations per second and it did have vacuum tubes because at the time the transistors were not powerful enough to generate the one megahertz clock speed it operated at but it was the first one to do everything um, in america uh, everything else with the transistors though so that happened this week in history 1955 wow that's cool 100 that's watts cool. that's a light bulb right yep and um, that that switching from that technology from a tube to a transistor made it yeah. smaller and better. And and here's the thing: at the time, it wasn't as fast as the fastest vacuum tube computers. Yeah. So it was a new technology that was slower than the um, established standard, but the potential for it was much greater. So they overcame the inertia of the vacuum tubes um, with a quote-unquote inferior product. So that's that's also a cool thing about America. And so. now my phone runs at 1.5 gigahertz, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a phone. And there's no vacuum tubes in it. Right. So. That'd be kind of cool if there was vacuum tubes in your phone, though, wouldn't it? Well, they'd would, be freaking huge phones. Yeah, yeah they would. It, but that'd be and that would, be a, that would be a steampunk novel in the making, too. <laughs> exactly. I have a bass guitar rig that, that uses a tube because the transistors don't have the same... Uh, characteristic of sound meaning they're too precise and it's so funny that this this is fully transistorized thing with with a tube stuck in it because they wanted that fuzzy warm tube sound so there's still a place for them but they're now you know the the uh the flavor rather than the the meat they're the salt and not the protein mm -hmm. okay so seth doesn't have a show closing spectacular <gasps> this week actually what? i do um if you look it has a link on it but it is kind of a it's a 
it's not a great one because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to comment. You have to click on it. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Yeah, it may <laughs> never recover. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Chris does have a link, but it's a YouTube thing, and I don't want to get a takedown. So, well, I'll just leave that as an exercise to the viewer to yeah. watch what he says. My favorite quote from a TV show, at least when it comes to to political, um, it, it's it's kind of kind of very you know pointed at this show. All right, so this is where the part the part of the show where I tell you how you can comment uh, and feedback to us. What do you think? Do should we never ever do this again? Uh, should we do more of it? I suspect I'll get email saying both of those things. Um, I want to know it. I want to know what you think. This was a, a very a big departure from the way we typically do shows. Certainly, we never would have done this uh, on the Everyday Linux show. Uh, and it's not, it wasn't really geek heavy, but there was a lot of ranting going on. Um, what, what do you think? Uh, not just in terms of agreeing or disagreeing, should we explore uh, topics like this in the future? Uh, go to elementopi.com, click the contact us button at the top of the page, fill out the form, that sends me an email. Or if you want to skip the middleman, send an email to geekrant at elementopi.com, that goes to all three of us. Or if you want to, to rant right alongside us, you can call 559-IMOPI, leave a message on our Google Voice uh, account, and we'll play it on the show. I'm anxious to, to hear what what uh, you have to say. Um, I, I My... The only thing that would make this a failure is if there's no feedback. Yeah. Whether it's good or bad, whether you think I'm an idiot or a genius, if you if you say nothing, that's the only thing the only uh, thing that I would consider a bad outcome of this show. So this was designed to get you thinking and get you talking. So tell us what you have to say. Pseudo, tell us what you want us to. Yes, because we we always have to say pseudo. Yeah, or right click, click run as administrator. <laughs> Great minds. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, what's the Mac version? None of us know. <laughs> I think it's I think it's uh, an NSU command. I'm I'm guessing three fingers yeah. twelve in a counterclockwise <laughs> motion, <laughs> fifteen degrees, and a quick prayer to Steve Jobs. Yeah, say fifteen, hail Steve's. Um, all right, that's it. I'm calling it. Thanks for hanging out with us. Chris, Seth, great discussion. Thank you for being with us. Listener, we've had people off and, uh, on and off the live show. Uh, I suspect I ticked a number of you off, uh, so you've you've gone. That's fine. I'm used to that by now. But Hopefully thanks for I hanging out with us. If, if you're still here uh, an hour and 20 minutes later, we must have done something right. If only it was you, you had to wait to see because you could believe what idiocy we'd say next. Uh, but we look forward to uh, talking to you next week because that ends this episode of The Geek Rant. Geek Rant.